Good morning, good morning. Good morning. I am still waking up. <laughs> it is definitely going to take me... It's definitely going to take me a little while to uh, get used to my brain being on for a show in the morning. <laughs> I woke up this morning, I was like, oh no. So, I made my coffee extra strong. I took a good shower, trying to wake myself up. I dropped my kid off at early care to give me extra time to consume more coffee. And I've been sitting here putting the show together and starting to, starting to get my brain going, starting to feel like I'm in my normal broadcast mode, but not quite yet. So y'all, y'all bear with me, please forgive me. Uh, this show may be a little bit, uh, well, it may, this show may come off like a show where the host just woke up and only, and has only been sleeping five hours a night for weeks on end. <laughs> but that's how it goes. And I'm, I'm sure y'all, some of y'all are probably in the same boat. Yeah. Mama Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the only one. All right, guys, this is just human number 134. Obviously I am back to mornings and I'm glad to be back to mornings. Uh, this is, this is how I started. And that's how I want to uh, start off this morning. I want to talk about uh, where I started at. Um, for those of you who've been watching for a long time, this y'all are going to be familiar with this. Y'all are going to know this. But I figured um, last night as I was uh, preparing for the show and I was uh, putting things together for it, I started. I started thinking, you know what? There's there's quite a, and just going off of the comments I was noticing on some of my videos lately and uh, mentions I was getting on True Social and stuff, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people who have, who are pretty new to me, who have found me in the last several weeks, which is awesome. Um, there's been a lot of growth on, on my socials and on my sub stack, which I'm really thankful for. It's been, it's been, it's been awesome. There's been so many people that are, uh, uh, really appreciative and it's going really well. Some people are saying that rumble is not working. Let me check into that. Here we go. Here we go. Let me just check for a moment. Cause I definitely have rumble set up. Correctly, I believe. I believe this typical. Let's see. Yep, that's the that's the right key. Others are saying Rumble is working. Okay, yeah, Rumble's working for me. Yep, it's good. It might be uh, that Rumble is going to rumble. Cause, uh, rumble is, uh, sometimes that happens. Okay. If it's not working for you, I'm really sorry, but, uh, it's, it's working. It's working for me. All right. Um, all right. Back to what I was saying is I was, uh, I was putting the show together last night and I thought, um, uh, good morning, uh, woke societies over on, on, uh, Foxhole. I find it popcorn 17, good Cindy. 
Good morning, everybody on Foxhole. Looks like all of my stuff is working. I'm pretty sure, even though I'm super sleepy, even though this feels weird to be back on mornings and also a bit like going back home a little bit. Um, yeah. Pretty sure I managed to set it all up correctly. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was put, I was getting ready for the show and I thought, you know, I, there's a lot of new people and I'm really thankful for the new folks. And I thought it might be a good idea since I'm back on mornings where I started to just kind of like reintroduce myself a bit and go over where I started and how I started streaming. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I do, I do think it would be a good idea. So what happened how I got started in this and I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out how far back I'll go. I don't want to do a biography show, but I did that interview with Jordan Sather a while back. Um, and which was really great. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him. And if you haven't watched that interview and you're interested about, um, some of my beginning, then that's a good place to go for something a little bit more in depth. But he, one of the questions Jordan asked me is when I got red pilled and I was telling him that it's a process. And since I did that interview with him, I've been thinking more and more about, well, when did that process really begin? And the, um, the point at which I picked out on his show was that it began with in high school researching uh, for the research papers that we all do in high school, uh, the uh, the first World Trade Center bombing. And through researching that, I found out a lot about uh, terrorist networks, and I, I got into a little bit about the CIA's involvement in Afghanistan, and I hadn't put all the pieces together. I wasn't as informed about it as I am now, but that got me interested in those subjects. And then... When 9-11 happened, I had so much more information than everybody around me. And I was, I had this perspective that, or a more, in some ways, a more informed perspective. Now, I was still pretty normy on, on my assessment of 9-11 at that time. But I had a lot of background information that, that helped me understand it. But since doing that interview with Jordan, I realized that I think the the real moment was actually before that. In junior high, I was researching Vietnam for a project there. And I realized I was looking at the Tet Offensive. And I realized that the Tet Offensive was an, a victory for America, that America defeated the Tet Offensive. But the media reported that we lost. And that was when I realized how the media is able to program everybody with mis, dis, and mal info. And that perception is reality. And that really, that started the process of me not only not trusting the media, but of, I think of me starting to question everything and becoming a digger. Um, now, I don't think I'm the greatest digger. There's a lot of people who are really good diggers, 
And um, what I do think, though, is I have a pretty decent filter. And I think that's when that started developing. Anyway, I'd say I say all that background uh, to bring me up to what happened last year. Last year, during the Afghanistan pullout, I was watching it happen, and I was perplexed why everybody was reacting to it, why everybody was so, I don't know, like there, there was just this fervor, all the narrative, everybody was freaking out about us pulling out of, out of Afghanistan, how it was going so badly, and it was... Uh, I was just sitting back and watching it and thinking, why are people freaking out about the Taliban taking over Afghanistan? This was, this was the plan all along. Like Trump, Trump and Pompeo negotiated the Doha deal. Why, why are people surprised that this is happening? And while I was watching that happen, I started writing some threads on it on uh, freeatlantis.com and getting, engaging in some, in some uh, discussions over there. And as I started doing that, I was encouraged, specifically I was encouraged by um, a user by the name of Music and Fiction, who is also on uh, Truth Social. Um, he, he started asking some questions of me and encouraged me to write some more. So I started, um, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll write, maybe I should use that Substack that I created in 2020 and never wrote anything on hey music and fiction good morning i see you over in twitch chat so i thought man i'm gonna turn this into a real thread and uh of course that thread is became a Substack, and i wrote it on august 13th and this piece right here got picked up by several people on free Atlantis. It got shared by Brian Cates. It got shared by uh, Patel Patriot and people kept asking me to write more. So I wrote several more. I wrote this one specific specifically about the Doha agreement. And I got to admit this one is not the best writing. Um, I'm not the best writer out there, but it's all the background on the Doha agreement. And in researching this, I figured out that the Doha agreement, <laughs> Wooly87 on Rumble says, take a drink every time Kyle mentions Doha agreement. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Definitely don't do that this morning. Um, but in researching that, I found out that Pompeo and Trump had set up Afghanistan to go exactly the way that it was going, except for in the ways that the State Department was screwing it up. And the closer I paid attention and I started using all sorts of alternative sources to get information about Afghanistan uh, last year, and I found that Biden had actually said that he can't do anything about the Doha agreement, which makes no sense because he's supposedly president and a president is able to engage in negotiation of treaties and alter treaties and 
put put forth changes to Congress and like I mean like it's, how can he say he has no no ability to do anything about the Doha agreement and devolution proof right there to me uh, that he has been limited in his ability to negotiate treaties. Um, which by the way, I think that's also why he hasn't been able to negotiate a new one with Iran. He couldn't, he couldn't get out of or renegotiate the Doha agreement. And I don't think he's going to be able to create a new Iran deal, but so I ended up writing six articles about, um, Afghanistan and our withdrawal. And I found out a lot of things that went wrong in Afghanistan had to do with the state department simply not doing anything. Um, I found out that the equipment that we supposedly left behind was pretty much all Afghanistan army equipment that wasn't ours. It wasn't our brand new U.S. military equipment that was left behind. It was equipment that was already there and was for the Afghan armed forces. And so I started to realize that what had happened was that the Afghanistan swamp had been drained. The, the Afghanistan government under Ghani and under other leaders was just a swamp, a giant swamp creature, a giant deep state playground um, that all of these, all these globalists were making tons of money off of. And there was all sorts of drug and weapon and human trafficking going on. And the terrorist groups, some of them were very real and doing terrible things, but they were also uh, funded and encouraged and manipulated by all sorts of intel agencies. And it was this disgusting swamp. I mean, we were literally having U.S. soldiers and U.S. military contractors delivering pallets of U.S. American dollars to these warlords. Um, Afghanistan has tons of warlords. It is not an advanced country. Um, and we were, just, we, we were just giving them pallets of cash. So I realized that what Trump did and what Pompeo did was they, and Trump told us, they literally bombed the Taliban to the negotiating table. They kept killing the Taliban leadership and killing the worst of the worst until the leaders who were left were willing to negotiate the Doha agreement. And by the time that had happened, they had lost so much of their most radical Islamic elements. And Trump and, and Pompeo negotiated that agreement and not one American soldier was killed by the Taliban from that point on in February 2020. And then what they did was they set up the Taliban to negotiate um, an intra-Afghan agreement for both of them governing Afghanistan, some kind of joint government, which was never going to work. It was meant to fail. And it fit and in its failing, the Taliban took over Afghanistan and the corrupt, swampy, deep state, globalist, CIA project government 
of, of, of Ghani was destroyed. And the, uh, the Taliban literally walked into Kabul. They captured Kabul with a couple guys on motorcycles. It was easy for them. And the way the Biden administration, the only way they could screw this up was for State Department to do nothing and for the State Department to delay the evacuation of civilians as much as possible because they wouldn't issue passports, they wouldn't issue them the paper, they uh, the papers they needed, they wouldn't answer phone calls or emails. They were literally just doing nothing, um, trying to make this, trying to make it as difficult and as bad as possible. I guess I, it, it backfired on them spectacularly, um, of course, as everybody knows. But anyway, I started writing these threads and writing these Substack articles, and people started asking me to uh, do streams. So I started doing that, and I went on Patel Patriot's show, and that was great. I see many of y'all commenting that that's where you found me. And as I started uh, broadcasting, I started um, I started feeling more and more compelled to keep going, not as a news aggregate show. I don't do a news aggregation show where I try and hit on all the news of the day or of the past week. There's lots of shows like that, and there's lots of really good ones. Um, instead, what I like to do is pick out some news that I think is particularly important and particularly interesting to me and dig into it and try and get a, a better understanding of it instead of reacting to it. Um, I have a uh I have a bit of a, a passion for helping folks to one be positive in their outlook of our, of our future. I do believe the best is yet to come and I do believe we are winning this war. But every day is another battle in the cognitive war that we're all we're all in. And like I've said before, um, it doesn't matter whether you want to be a part of the information war or the cognitive war. Uh, you you are. It wants it, it, the war wants you. The war will make you part of it. You will you will be a victim in it, or you will be a fighter. You'll be a casualty, or you'll be a soldier in it. One or the other. You have to choose. And I started feeling more and more passionate about helping people find a uh, or develop habits of. First, trying to understand news in its context, both in the micro and in the macro, and to avoid reacting emotionally, and to ultimately try and program yourself, program pro program your mind on your own. Because if you don't, if you don't set out to program yourself, um, and I would say each day, try to program yourself then the war fighters, the enemy who is engaging this information war and cognitive war against you, they're going to program you. They'll do it for you. And a lot of times you won't even realize it. You'll get sucked right back into their matrix. Um, so that's why, that's where I started. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm, why I'm still going. Um, 
sorry, sorry to go on a little while about my bio or whatever, but I can see that there's a lot of new pe people who have found me recently. And, uh, that's, that's my beginning. And that's my, um, that's my drive in this. Um, if you're interested in my writing about whatever, and if you're interested in audio versions of this show, then you need to go to subs, you need to go to justhuman.substack.com. It's free air. All of my content on there is free. It's the number one way to support this show. If you choose to do a paid subscription, but you don't have to, everything's free. And I also do an audio version of this show. I put it up on there and you can, um, you can use the, uh, Substack app to play the podcast version, or you can set it up to feed to your favorite, favorite podcast player. And on the note of uh, the podcast, the audio version, since now I'm streaming in the morning, but I, well, what I was doing is I would get done with the show at night. I would rip the audio and immediately upload it to Substack to get it out as soon as possible for people who listen the next day. Uh, but since, since I'm doing morning shows now, I'll have a little bit more time. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit the... I'm going to edit the, uh, the show to trim off the, uh, the excess at the beginning of it where there's no audio. So you don't have to fast forward a bunch through that and, uh, making a much better podcast version. I'll I'm going to clean it. I have time now. I'm going to clean it up a little bit before I put it out. So make it a little bit better experience. Okay. I have to give a shout out. Ugh. Itchy nose, itchy nose. Uh, y'all stop thinking about me. Okay. I got to give a shout out to, uh, someone who sent me a gift. <laughs> Magnus Masslider says, please keep the pro parts. I will. I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut out the, uh, the, the space at the beginning where there's no, there's nothing going on. Uh, that way it just makes for a better podcast experience. Um, all right. I got to give a shout out to Benson Honey Farms. They have not paid me for this, but they did send me some of their products. Um, I don't know if Mo is here, but Mo, Mo Benson is a follower of the show and has been for a long time. And she sent me a gift package with honey and soap and candy. I have, I have a bag of the candy right here. And guys... Guys, when I tell you it's the best honey I've ever had, it is absolutely amazing. And this, these, uh, these candies are amazing. Um, look, if you want to give somebody some, if you want some honey for yourself, or if you want to get a gift for someone for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, the hall, whatever guys, I'm telling you, this is an amazing farm to get honey from. And I can't thank her enough for sending me this care package. It's absolutely wonderful. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through these candies so fast. I'm definitely going to be buying honey from them from now on. Uh, yeah, it's just, there's no, yeah, it's not sugar candy. It's honey candy. 
and it's they're so good um anyway shout out to benson honey farms really appreciate the gift uh mm. <laughs> i want to eat some of it right now okay DMC over on Rumble. Thank you very much for the rant and thank you for the comment and for subscribing to my Substack. Thank you very much. Um, all right, guys, I have, um, I have some stuff to show you. I'm trying to think, I think the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pick up. Let's pick up where I left off with a uh, Patel show or kind of where Patel show left off this past Saturday. Uh, shout out to to uh, Patel Patriot for having me on on Saturday. I really enjoyed talking to him and Gunnels, as I always do. It is uh it's so great. It's those those guys have been such good friends to me, and I've known them for over a year now. And man, it's it it's just it's great to talk to them. It's they he, they give me ideas, and after the show on Saturday, my um. My brain was just racing uh, with new thoughts. Patel really gave me some, he filled something in for me. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, I want to grab, not this, but we were talking about, let's, let's talk about Barbara S. Jones. There's a couple quick cause this ties into um what we were talking about on Patel's show. So I went back and found this letter from the Rudy Giuliani case. It's from June 3rd, and it's written by the US attorney in the Southern District of New York, who was over the investigation that led to the raid of Victoria Tunsing and Rudy Giuliani. And there's a footnote here where the government is the government writes on behalf of the parties to propose the appointment of the honorable Barbara S Jones. They agreed Giuliani and the government agreed that they wanted to appoint Barbara S Jones in this uh in this case. And they go on to talk about her uh right here. They also mention the Michael Cohen case in this uh this letter. In this footnote it talks about how Giuliani was previously a shareholder at Bracewell LLP, which was known as Bracewell and Giuliani at that time. And right here, I'm going to take away a little bit from the, the point we made about there not being a conflict of interest. That was my point that, you know, if, if Trump was a target, there might be a conflict of interest here because Jones and Giuliani had formerly been at the same law firm. But I found out that while that is true, they were at the same law firm. Giuliani left that law firm in January 2016, and Jones joined it in July 2016. So there's a six-month separation between them actually crossing paths at that same law firm. And the government itself, the U.S. attorney, wrote that to the judge, pointing out that it's no conflict of interest. Now, this takes away a bit from my point about that, but 
This is significant because it means the government has already written in a case, that's already argued in a case, and it's already been accepted in a case, that there is no conflict of interest based on Giuliani and Jones being at that same law firm. But let me point you to something else. Jones and Rudy definitely know each other. Because they both worked out of the SDNY at the same time. Jones worked as a special attorney for organized crime and racketeering in the criminal division of the U.S. Department of Justice in 1973. Special attorney for the Manhattan Strike Force against organized crime and racketeering for the U.S. DOJ, 73 to 77. Assistant U.S. attorney, SDNY, 77 to 1987. And she was chief of the general crimes unit from 83 to 84 and chief of the organized crime unit from 84 to 87. She was also first assistant district attorney for New York County from 87 to 95. And what was happening during this whole time period? It was Trump and the band people such as let me uh move this up so y'all can see okay it's getting all of it all right you had this is the exact same time and these are the exact same units that people like rudy giuliani robert mueller comey ray terwilliger all the people that are in the bar all the people that were in the band help, helping to clean up organized crime in the 70s and 80s going against the five families and all their uh, their mafia friends and their corrupt friends. The exact same time that they were doing that work, working with these units, working with these organized crime units, working with the SDNY. Barbara S. Jones was there as a prosecutor. This is also the exact same time that Trump and his brother and the Trump organization were working as assets and informants to help take down the five families and other organized crime syndicates. So that tells me that Barbara S. Jones is well aware of the band and she is well aware of Trump and the Trump organization's relationship with and their history with DOJ as an, an asset, as a source that has helped bust these criminals. And so I would even go so far as to say that Barbara Jones is probably read in and fully aware of Trump's status as an asset. And so... When you see that the DOJ is asking for Barbara Jones to be the special master, they're asking for someone who is read in and fully aware of the stink.
Where is it right here? And so when other people are bringing up things about Barbara Jones, such as she giving money to Democrats over the past several years and DNC and Act Blue, um, Liz Holtzman, Catherine Cortez Masto, how much does it mean to you? How much does it mean to you? How much, how much weight does it carry with you that Barbara S. Jones gave money to Democrats versus Barbara S. Jones having been a prosecutor against the five families along with Giuliani and the rest of the band? Which one matters more to you? And also when you consider her donating to Democrats. Who else do we know that has donated to Democrats within the past 10 years or 15 years? How about Donald J. Trump, General Flynn, a whole bunch of other people? Trump told us this isn't about parties, remember? Trump told us this is not about Democrat versus Republican. This is about the American people versus the corrupt deep state swamp creatures. It's about us versus the swamp. It's not about dim. It's not about Democrat versus Republican. It's about us versus the uniparty. And if Barbara Jones needs to donate what in the past uh three years let's just call it five grand if barbara jones donates five grand to democrat causes or whatever in the past three years if she does that and it helps her maintain her cover as being someone associated with the band and it helps her get appointments to things like the Rudy Giuliani raid case because there's enough separation there and it helps her get appointed to Trump's case as special master, then great. I think it's worth it. Um, I think it's absolutely worth it. Now, I want to grab something from my friend Brian Cates. He said, in case you don't recall who Barbara Jones is, when Project Veritas got raided by the FBI over the Ashley Biden diary, they seized the phones of James O'Keefe and his journalist, two of them, if I remember correctly, along with a lot of documents that were clearly attorney-client privileged. Some anonymous goon inside the diary investigation then began leaking Project Veritas internal memos from their legal counsel to the New York Times which eagerly began publishing some of them. O'Keefe filed for a special master to be appointed to step in and handle the matter. That special master appointed by the federal judge was Barbara Jones. In short order, Jones ripped the DOJ and FBI and the New York Times a new one by one, ordering an investigation into the leak of attorney-client privilege documents to a media outlet, and two, ordering the New York Times to take down what it had already published from the attorney-client privilege communications and forbid them from publishing any further such communications. Three, reviewed all the items seized in the raid and returned all of the attorney-client privileged items from the FBI 
I know the horse is already out of the barn on that, but still, it's a positive step. The New York Times screamed, cried, begged, filed furious counter motions, and in the end, lost. It was a big victory for O'Keefe and Project Veritas, and for journalists everywhere. It's been months, and thus far, the only criminal charges resulting from the raid of Project Veritas are those of the actual targets of the investigation, which, surprise, turned out not to be James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. Project Veritas had evidence that the FBI needed to make its case against the people who supposedly stole the Ashley Biden diary, illegally transported it, and then tried to profit from the sale of it to various media outlets. And now, by some arcane act of sorcery, the DOJ itself is once again choosing Jones as a special master, this time for the Mar-a-Lago raid investigation, which also has a massive leaking problem. And notice... The DOJ chose Barbara Jones, and then Barbara Jones turned around and put the DOJ in its place on some things. Right? And here they are choosing her again. To me, this is an indication of the battle within the FBI and DOJ. The good versus bad battle that goes on within. And... Sorry to point back to my Substack so much this morning, but it's become really relevant lately. I wrote about the Project Veritas raid right here, and in writing that, that is when I first discovered Barbara S. Jones and discovered what she was, how how, how she was connected to the band and how she was being used. And that's where the idea of templates came from and has been in my head ever since. And Brian gave me a nice shout out after writing that. Does anybody know what a template is? Because you already watched this happen several times. The Project Veritas case special master's rulings were just one of the clearest examples of it. And that's right. That's absolutely right. Now, before I have something I want to grab out of here. I, I found something. I found something that might be... Um, well, it's significant. I just don't know how significant. But before I get to it, I saw a couple questions. Uh, Popcorn17 on Pilled asks, what are your thoughts as to DOJ filing that appeal to the special master? I'll take Barbara Jones for $1,000. Yeah. So it's it's a contradiction. The, the DOJ is at the same time appealing Barbara Jones order, I mean, appealing Judge Cannon's order, but they're also filing for Barbara Jones to be the special master, and uh, they want they want everything done by October seventeenth. And the appeal, and, and it's so funny. There are they have all these filings where they're arguing about the how time sensitive everything is, and they really need to get back to this evidence they need to they need the judge to let them use this that use the material they seized from Mar-a-Lago in their investigations but then they're appealing the order which is going to take months so there's a big contradiction there in the behavior of DOJ and I think yeah Mermaid Miss K I think it's some of its optics um I also think it's don't throw me in the briar patch. 
I think it's DOJ being like, don't throw me in the briar patch with the special master, please. Please, Judge Cannon, don't do this. Please, 11th Circuit, please bail me out. Um, I don't know if the appeal will be accepted, but if it is, it's not necessarily a bad thing because I think it, I think Judge Cannon's order will be upheld. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I did just get an email. I have notifications turned on for a couple cases on court listener. So let me see. Okay. There is a new filing in this case. Okay, what is this new one? Okay, this is DJT's response to the motion for a partial stay pending appeal. A, they must have known, look at this, look at this, that they, they must have known that I switched back to morning, so they went ahead and... Uh, they went ahead and made a filing this morning for me. That's so nice of them. That is so nice of them. Okay. Before I get to this, I have to show y'all something. I have I have to show y'all something. Okay. In my substack on templates, I included this right here, which is from um, Bruce Re Judge Bruce Re Magistrate Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt. I included this right here. What he was doing on August fifth. August fifth is the morning that um, he signed the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago. The search warrant for Mar-a-Lago is this one right here. Okay, it's this first one I highlighted. After that, he signed this search warrant for telephone records, which is to for um, a cust for a, a company that has a uh, um, like for AT and T to turn over all your phone records uh, from a from a specific customer or customers. Field pin register, and the reason I have this arrow to it is because it's uh it's misspelled, um, sealed is misspelled, and it's still misspelled on the docket. Uh, this this is for what you type in, like this is for to access electronic devices and get all of your get all of your key entries, everything you've typed in. And then he signed another search warrant. This is all on the same day. This is the Mar-a-Lago one at the top that we know of, okay? And then he signed these two and then this one. So I included this in my Substack because I said, I'm not sure if these are all related, but I thought it was notable that he signed all of these things on the same day. So I thought it was a good idea to memorialize them, to uh, screenshot them and pay attention to them. Okay. This is what I want to show y'all. I included the, the links in here. Thank God. Thank God I included the links in here. It makes it so much easier to go back because what I was doing is last night, 
I was squirreling on this because Patel Patriot had mentioned the uh, the affidavit and how the affidavit mentioned unfolded documents that were taken in uh, what is it in January the first fifteen boxes and I'm glad Patel Patriot mentioned that because I had uh, I'd forgotten it I'd I'd forgotten that the affidavit mentioned unfolded documents. I don't even remember which one of these it is. Where is it? Where is that affidavit? Well, we'll find it in a minute because it's not my main point right now. So I went and looked at these other cases that I grabbed. This one is the uh, phone records and it's still sealed. If you go and try and buy it on Pacer, Actually, hold on just a moment. Let me uh, not show y'all my login information on Pacer. <laughs> Let me log in. Okay. This document is restricted. You cannot look at this document on Pacer. And nothing has been filed in it since then, okay? Now here's the next one, the sealed pen register which is misspelled. And when I first saw it, it was, I was kind of like, well, what is, who is sealed? I thought it was the name of a company or something. So if I click on this right here to go buy on Pacer, document is restricted or cannot be found. Okay. And then this one. Now this is, see right here, 08338. This is the other search warrant that was signed that morning. This search warrant right here, 08332, this is the Mar-a-Lago search warrant that we are all familiar with and know and love, and there has been much controversy about, okay? And then the judge, Reinhardt, signed this one, and then he signed this one, and then he signed this one. This is 08338. Well, there's been a little bit of activity on this one, and people seem to have forgotten about it. So August 5th, there he signed it. August 10th, there were two entries on the docket that are sealed and restricted. And even this one says description not available. Docket entry threes, restricted, sealed until further notice. Another document, motion to unseal by the Times Union, one of the newspapers said, we better file a motion on this. That got sealed. And then this happened on August 15th. And if anybody noticed it, I haven't seen this reported anywhere, guys. I haven't seen this reported anywhere. I may have missed it. But check this out. I'm going to buy on Pacer. This is the response by USA Attorney to this motion to unseal this search warrant. This is the other search warrant. I'm gonna click continue. I'm gonna pay 20 cents or whatever to look at this document. Thank you for the cups of coffee y'all buy me because you just paid for this. Check this shit out, guys. Oh yeah, it's mornings. I probably shouldn't cuss in the mornings. Sorry. All right, I'm getting a bit excited. 
This is by Susan Osborne, Assistant U.S. Attorney, United States for the Southern District of Florida, I believe. Southern District of Florida. Yeah, Southern District of Florida. Okay. Look, response to motion under seal. The undersigned Assistant United States Attorney hereby respectfully request that this court deny the letter motion filed by the Times Union of Albany, New York, to unseal the warrant in this matter. The letter motion seeks unsealing of records related to the search of the resident residents of former president Donald J. Trump in Palm Beach, Florida, and references two case numbers. The government has already moved to unseal materials related to the warrant involving the residents of former president Trump under case 08332. And the above caption warrant, case number 8338, concerns an ongoing investigation that is completely unrelated to the subject matter of the other warrant and the letter motion to unseal. Accordingly, this warrant should remain sealed and the letter motion denied in this case. Oh my gosh, guys. This is another search warrant. This is another search warrant. Judge Judge Reinhardt signed this the same day. So let's go back and let me show you what I was talking about in my Substack. This is the first search warrant that we all know of. Then that judge signed this telephone records request. Then he signed the pen register warrant. These two warrants, these are all three warrants. He signed this warrant, and that's the one we know. Then he signed the telephone warrant. Then he signed the pen register warrant. And then he signed another warrant that is also has to do with an investigation related to Mar-a-Lago. So there are at least two search warrants related to what the FBI did on August 8th. They carry, there's not, they didn't carry out one search warrant. They carried out two. And what do you want to bet? Do you think that these two things in the middle this telephone records and this pen register just happened. He just ha the judge just happened to sign those and they're not related. I don't think so. I think all four of these things are related. All four came across his desk that morning. They're all related. They all have to do with Mar-a-Lago. And it says this one, the letter motion seeks unsealing of records relating to the search of the residence of former president Donald J. Trump in Palm Beach, Florida. So this is Mar-a-Lago and it references two case numbers. It doesn't mention what case numbers those are. The government has already moved to unseal materials related to warrant involving the residents of President Donald J. Trump in the case that was numbered 8332. That's the one we already knew about. The above caption warrant, case number 8338, concerns an ongoing investigation that is completely unrelated to the subject matter of the other warrant. Accordingly, this warrant should be, the unsealing should be denied. So that tells us this is separate. And guys, come on. There's these two right here. This, this search warrant cites two other cases that are currently sealed. It's these two. I'm going to bet right now that what is going on is this one right here is the first search warrant that we all know. 
And this one has to do with NARA referral and all that. But then these two right here, these three are the sting. These three right here are some kind of sting. They caught somebody doing something and they want, they need their telephone records. They want their uh, entries into something. Maybe they want their, 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 uh, what they typed into a keypad, into a locking mechanism, what they typed into a computer, what they typed into something. So there's a lot more going, there's, there's a lot more going on with this Mar-a-Lago raid than, than we have, we have realized. And the only reason I found this was because I was going, I went into my Substack to find something else I had written about, and I don't even remember what now. Um, oh yeah, I was looking for the unfoldered thing. I was looking for the affidavit. And uh, I went to get this link so I could open up the, the case that has the affidavit. And I was like, you know what? I haven't looked at these in a while. I'm going to go ahead and look at them. So I had a feeling back then that all of this that that Judge Reinhardt signed that morning was related to Mar-a-Lago. And it turns out, yeah. Yeah, we have... This one is definitely Mar-a-Lago. This one's definitely Mar-a-Lago related. So the odds are, what happened in between, Mar-a-Lago related. Now, I wish I could go off and tell you what it's about and everything, but I don't freaking know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Makes me think about that surveillance footage, though. The uh, surveillance footage that the FBI subpoenaed from Mar-a-Lago back on June 22nd. It makes me think about that. Um it also makes me think about that infiltrator that was at Mar-a-Lago who was Ukrainian, but the uh, the news media says that she was Russian, even though she was clearly Ukrainian. Anyway, oh yeah, one last thing on Barbara S. Jones. I found this letter right here from, what was this from? I don't see a date on it. I might be missing it. Anyway, it noted that Barbara S. Jones was a judge in the U.S. District Court for Southern District of New York for 17 years. Love how that number comes up in interesting places. 17 years she was a district court judge in the SDNY. Okay, done with that stuff. Let's go back to what this new filing is. Let's see, let's see. We can close this. Okay, so Trump... Trump's team has responded to the partial stay motion. Okay. This is entry number 69. Entry number 69 is this motion to stay where they want, they want judge Cannon to let them continue with their investigation.
That's right, Eileen. Trump Skiff did get a uh, $600,000 upgrade within the past year. But all skiffs have to be maintained. Um, there are expenses every year on skiffs. They have they have to be they have to be constantly updated to uh, to to keep up with security and and all that stuff. Okay, all right. Thank you everybody for the rants and thank you for the uh, um, the gold pills over on Foxhole. I got to remember to do the uh, the scratch offs at the end of the show if. Don't feel, feel free to remind me towards the end of the show. Um, the, uh, I have a hard cutoff at about 1130 Eastern. Um, so two hour shows from now on, cause I have, I have to be somewhere by 12. So, um, feel free to remind me to around 1130 to, uh, not forget that. Okay. This motion. All right, let's just go let's just go through it together and uh shoot. We'll see what we find. Apologies if it turns out to be really boring. <laughs> All right. Donald J Trump's response in opposition to the United States motion for a partial stay pending appeal. One, introduction. This investigation of the 45th president of the United States is both unprecedented and misguided. Oh, here we go. And what at its core is a document storage dispute that has spiraled out of control. The government wrongfully seeks to criminalize the possession by the 45th president of his own presidential and personal records. By way of its motion, docket entry 69, the government now seeks to limit the scope of any review of its investigative conduct and presuppose the outcome, at least as regards to what it deems as, quote, classified records. However, the court's order, number, entry number 64, is a sensible preliminary step towards restoring order from chaos. The government should therefore not be permitted to skip the process and proceed straight to a preordained conclusion. We're going to lay it on thick. Yeah, Dwayne Cates, I did. Dwayne Cates, I did. That's correct. I haven't, I haven't posted it anywhere to share, but um, I will after the show. And I'll post a clip. The government's request with regard to this court's order is twofold. Specifically, the government seeks a stay to the extent the order enjoins the further review and use for criminal investigative purposes of records bearing classification markings that were recovered pursuant to a court author orth authorized search warrant and requires the government to disclose those classified records to a special master for review. And we have a footnote on entry number 69, the government is apparently not concerned with unauthorized leaks regarding the contents of the purported classified records. And then quotes uh, that Washington Post article about the Trump nuclear documents. And the government would presumably be prepared to share all such records publicly in any future jury trial. However, the government advances the untenable position in its motion that the secure review by a court appointed and supervised special master under controlled access conditions is somehow problematic and poses a risk to national security. Yeah, there's a, they're pointing out the contradiction with that footnote. Okay. Yeah. Th let us see order from chaos. Yeah. 
they're laying on the, I wonder if Alina Haba wrote this. This sounds like Alina just like laying down some blast. Uh, like she's laying it on thick right now. Right. This request demonstrates the government has misinterpreted the order as a prohibition on on conducting a national security assessment. That reading is, however, misplaced as the court made clear such assessment may proceed. The government generally points to all the alleged to the alleged urgent need to conduct a risk assessment of possible unauthorized disclosure of purported, quote, classified records. But there is no indication any purported classified records were disclosed to anyone. Indeed, it appears such classified records, along with other seized materials, were principally located in storage boxes in a locked room at Mar-a-Lago, a secure, controlled access compound utilized regularly to conduct the official business of the, of the United States during the Trump presidency, which to this day is monitored by the United States Secret Service. So there, are they talking about the SCIF? There was seemingly no footnote. There was seemingly no similar sense of urgency or imminent threat to national security associated with the purported classified records contained in the 15 boxes of materials President Trump voluntarily turned over in January 2022. Even though such records form the base alleged basis for the institution of the current criminal investigation. Likewise, there was no similar sense of urgency or imminent threat associated with the classified records President Trump's counsel voluntarily turned over. On June 3rd, man, I think they're talking about either the skiff or like a storage room that's in the skiff. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, right here, this paragraph. Moreover, the ultimate disposition of all the classified records and likely most of the seized materials is indisputably governed exclusively by the provisions of the Presidential Records Act, PRA. The PRA accords any president extraordinary discretion to categorize all his or her records as either presidential or personal records. An established case law provides very limited judicial oversight over such categorization. The PRA further contains no provision allowing or no provision authorizing or allowing for any criminal enforcement. Rather, disputes regarding the disposition of any presidential record are to be resolved between such president and the National Archives and Records Administration. Okay, the contradiction here tells me that this, all the contradictions here tell me this. It remi- they all remind me of what President Trump told us way back when he first took office and what he has told us for six straight years. The news is fake. The facts may not be fake, but the reporting on the facts is fake. And I truly believe the reporting on this raid is fake. All right, back to this. Thus, at best, the government might ultimately be able to establish certain presidential records and should be returned to to NIRA, to NARA. What is clear regarding all of the seized materials is that they belong with either President Trump as his personal property to be returned pursuant to rule 41 G or with NARA, but not with the department of justice. Okay. I have to give a commentary here. I can think of one. I can think of one reason why these records would need to go to DOJ or perhaps 
a certain special counsel. And that is they are needed for an investigation. And what records did Cash Patel tell us were there? What records did Cash Patel tell us that Trump had in these boxes at Mar-a-Lago? He said they're marked classified, but they are declassified. And Cash told us that these documents have to do, quote, it's information that Trump felt spoke to matters regarding everything from Russiagate to Ukraine impeachment fiasco to major national security matters of great public importance. Anything the president felt the American people had a right to know is in there and more. And in other places, he has mentioned Crossfire Hurricane and Hillary's email server. What's this right there? And what did Trump tell us he had declassified on October 6, 2020? He said, I have fully authorized the total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to the single greatest political crime in American history, the Russia hoax. Likewise, the Hillary Clinton email scandal. No redactions. So Trump tells us that, and those are things. Those are things that would be needed by one John H. Durham. John H. Durham. And I know I've kind of I've floated that out there a few times that that's what this is about is transferring original documents to the S, the special counsel's office. And I'm still I'm still leaning that way. I'm still I'm still leaning that way. I do think there's more than one thing going on here. Uh but I'm still leaning that way that We've got all this fake narrative going on about NARA and Trump battling over who should have these documents and DOJ shouldn't have them. And what's going on is that the originals were with Trump and Durham needs them for his court filings. He's had copies. Now it's time for the originals so that he can file them in court. Okay, back to this. However, it is not even possible for this court, or anyone else for that matter, to make any determination as to which documents and other items belong where and with whom without first conducting a thoughtful, organized review. Recognizing this, the court exercised its equitable jurisdiction and inherent supervisory authority to, quote, ensure at least the appearance of fairness and integrity under the extraordinary circumstances presented. The government now advances the same arguments previously rejected in an attempt to persuade the court to reconsider. For several reasons, the government has not demonstrated in its motion any entitlement to relief. First, the government's position incorrectly presumes the outcome, that its separation of these documents is inviolable and not subject to question by this court or anyone else. Second, the government's stance assumes that if a document has a classification marking, it remains classified irrespective of any actions taken by President Trump during President Trump's term in office. 
Third, as noted above, the government continues to ignore the significance of the PRA. Indeed, if any seized documents, including any purported classified records, are presidential records, President Trump or his designee, including a neutral designee, such as a special master, has an absolute right to access to the same under the PRA, uh, 44 USC 2205. Accordingly, President Trump, and by extension, a requested special master, cannot be denied access to those documents. In addition, the government's claims of irreparable harm to the government and the public appear exaggerated. In seeking the extraordinary relief of this court staying its own order, the government once again brushes off any measure of judicial involvement. The government argues that the intelligence community review of documents now solely in the FBI's possession cannot withstand a brief pause. Moreover, the government contends that the FBI and ODNI and their personnel are so inseparable they are incapable of having agents outside the criminal case participate in the ODNI-led investigation. This convenient and belated claim by the government related to enjoining the criminal team's access to these documents only arises because the FBI concedes the intelligence community review is actually just another facet of its criminal investigation. Indeed, the declaration that, quote, the IC assessments necessarily will inform the FBI's criminal investigation effectively concede the intelligence review is, in fact, part of the criminal investigation. Footnote 3. Of course, as the order contemplates, to the extent there is any legitimate national security risk, national security interest at issue, the government is free to proceed. Likewise, President Trump has no interest in impeding any action which advances the national security interest of the United States. If, if this does have to do with Durham, this would need to be done. If these documents relate to cross, to crossfire hurricane or Hillary's email server, Russiagate, Ukraine impeachment, if, if they do relate to those things, like we have indicators that they do, then there would need to be an IC review of these documents to account for any national security fallout, any foreign policy fallout, um, all the all those things of how it would affect foreign relations and our national security once these things were made public. Just saying. So the fact when I read this right here. I'm thinking, hmm, this investigation has to do with national security in some respect. And then we know the charges, the predicate, the the chart, the the uh the charges that are potential charges that this raid is predicated on are espionage and obstruction, things we know that Hillary Clinton is guilty of. I might be fantasizing a little bit here, but I'm just saying that these little data points fit they don't negate that possibility now other things may fit as well so it's not a sure thing that that's what's going on here other things may fit as well in short the merits of this matter do not support staying the court's order pending the government's appeal accordingly and in light of the remaining stay factors the court should deny the government's motion 
applicable law. Okay, now some of this might get kind of wonky because it's just going to be citing other other case law. Um, I'm, I'm going to scan it. A stay, a stay is an intrusion into the ordinary process of administration and judicial review, and accordingly, it's not a matter of right, even if irreparable injury should uh, might otherwise result to the appellant. President Trump is likely to succeed on the merits. Section 3, the government's motion and appeal appear to presume the outcome of its review of the material seized from President Trump. Critically, though, the court's order is not a resolution of the ultimate merits of any argument raised by either President Trump or the government. Rather, it merely directs the appointment of a neutral party to review the seized materials and, in conjunction, temporarily and reasonably preclude further use of the seized materials in the government's criminal investigation while that neutral review is ongoing. The government is not likely to succeed on the merits of its appeal, even with respect to any subset of documents, because the court reasonably ex exercised its equitable jurisdiction in adopting those uh, these appropriate measures. Letter A. The, the court has the power to appoint a special master and enjoin the government's review. This court was correct in ex exercising its equitable jurisdiction, and it cites Ritchie v. Smith. In Ritchie, the case upon which this court relied in its order, the former Fifth Circuit set forth a series of factors to consider in relation to the exercise of equitable jurisdiction. The non-exhaustive list of factors include, one, whether the government displayed a callous disregard for the movement's constitutional rights, whether the movement has individual interest in the, and need for the seized property, three, whether the movement would be irreparably injured by denial of the return of the seized property, and four, whether the movement otherwise has an adequate remedy at law. In reviewing President Trump's motion for judicial review or judicial oversight, that'd be the motion for special master, this court rightly found that while there has not yet been a demonstration of a callous disregard for President Trump's constitutional rights to date, the remaining three factors weighed in favor of exercising jurisdiction. President Trump clearly has an individual interest in and need for the seized property. The records reflect the material seized, or the record reflects the material seized from President Trump's home includes not just, quote, personal effects without evidentiary value, but also approximately 500 pages of material that is likely subject to attorney-client privilege, as well as medical documents and tax and accounting information. The government contends that President Trump can have no such interest in the purported, quote, classified records. But again, the government has not proven these records remain classified. That issue is yet to be determined or is to be determined later. Moreover, under PRA, President Trump has specified rights to restrict access to his presidential records and an absolute right to access or have his designee access those presidential records. These rights accord President Trump a sufficient interest in all of the seized materials. Indeed, as developed below, President Trump's categorization of records during his term was within his sole discretion. There is also a risk of irreparable injury to President Trump if the documents are not first reviewed by a neutral third party. As correctly stated by this court, President Trump, quote, faces an unquantifiable potential harm by way of improper disclosure of sensitive information to the public. 
This is evidenced by various media reports in recent days regarding the contents of purportedly classified documents seized by the government. Irreparable injury could most certainly occur if the government were permitted to improperly use the documents seized. As this court aptly stated, quote, as a function of President Trump's former position as the President of the United States, the stigma associated with the subject, se subject seizure is in a league of its own. A future indictment based on any degree or property that ought to be returned would result in reputational harm of a decidedly different order of magnitude. Finally, President Trump has no alternate, alternative adequate remedy at law. This court correctly determined that, quote, without Rule 41G, President Trump would have no legal means of seeking the return of his property for the time being and no knowledge of when other relief might become available. The government claims this court cannot enjoin use of the documents. The government has determined are classified. Therefore, the, the argument goes, as President Trump has no right to have the documents returned to him because the government has unilaterally determined they are classified, the government should be permitted to continue to use them in conjunction with the intelligence communities to build a criminal case against him. There's no evidence that there is any criminal case build, being built against Trump. However, there still remains a disagreement as to the classification status of the documents. The government's position, therefore, assumes a fact not yet established. This court's order exercising jurisdiction did not make findings as to the classifi classification status of any documents. Further, whether it was lawful for the government to seize these documents has yet to be determined by a court of com competent jurisdiction. But that ultimate determination is an issue separate from this court's order and whether to stay pending appeal is necessary. Footnote 5. Despite the government's attempts to paint the ruling as a finding on the substantive merits of President Trump's claim, this court noted the limits of its order. Quote, the court pauses briefly to emphasize the limits of this determination. President Trump ultimately may not be entitled to return of much of the seized property or to prevail on his own, on his anticipated claims of privilege. That inquiry remains for another day. For now, the circumstances surrounding the seizure in this case and the associated need for adequate procedural safeguards are sufficiently compelling to at least get President Trump past the courthouse doors. Hmm. Okay, in summary, this court's decision to temporarily enjoin the government from reviewing the seized documents for criminal investigative purposes pending the special master's review was warranted so that all the seized materials may be appropriately reviewed and categorized. B, appointment of a special master is a necessary and prudent step to preserve the integrity of the process. You guys are a bunch of nerds listening to me read this. Pura Vida, yeah. Thank you very much, Pura Vida, over on Rumble. Uh, you guys are a bunch of nerds to listen to me read something like this on a Monday morning. And I love you. Glad you're here doing it. Glad you're here listening. Thank you for all. Thank you for the gold pills over on Pilled and for the rants and for the Twitch subs, all that, guys. Happy Monday. All right. This court has provided more than adequate reasoning as to why a special master is needed to review, to further review the documents in question. A special master is not an agent for either President Trump or the government. The very purpose of a special master is to serve as a neutral third party. 
with appropriate authorization, reviewing documents to facilitate resolution of the party's disagreements. In opposing any neutral review of the seized materials, the government seeks to block a reasonable first step towards restoring order from chaos and increasing public confidence in the integrity of the process. The government also continues to assert that President Trump is not permitted to claim executive privilege of documents in the custody of the executive branch. But the court already expressed skepticism with the government's conclusory assertions regarding executive privilege. The government further noted to this court that the privilege review team has already conducted the necessary review of separate privileged documents from its investigation. That'd be the, the filter team. Notably, however, this court correctly pointed out that the flaws in the privilege reviews team's process, even if inadvertent, call into question the adequacy of its review. That is footnote six. Specifically, this court observed, quote, as reflected in the privilege review team's report, the investigative team already has been exposed to potentially privileged documents or privileged material. The privilege review team's report references at least two instances in which members of the investigative team were exposed to material that was then delivered to the privilege review team and following another review designated as potentially privileged material. It's kind of funny to me, the government slipped up just a tiny bit on that and it helps make the case for why a special master is needed. So it's like sweet. All right, back to the, the motion. Considering this, the court determined that, quote, these unprecedented circumstances call for a brief pause to allow for neutral third-party review to ensure a just process with adequate safeguards. C, the president had the power to declassify documents. The government does not contest, indeed it concedes, that the president has broad authority governing classification of and access to classified documents. In fact, the government advocates that, quote, the protection of classified information must be committed to the broad discretion of the agency responsible. And this must include broad discretion to determine who may have access to it. Congress provided certain par parameters for controlling classified information, but primarily delegated to the president how to regulate. How to regulate the classified information itself. At the same time, the con same time Congress exempted the president from complying with such requirements. President Obama enacted the current executive order prescribing the parameters for controlling classified information in 2009, Executive Order 13526. That executive order, which controlled, which controlled during President Trump's term in office, designates the president as an original classification authority. In turn, the executive order grants authority to declassify information to either the to the official who originally classified the information or that individual supervisors, necessarily including the president. Thus, assuming the executive order could even apply to constrain a president, the president enjoins absolute authority under the executive order to declassify any information. There is no legitimate contention that the chief executive's declassification of documents requires approval of bureaucratic components of the executive branch. Yet the government apparently contends that President Trump, who had full authority to declassify documents, willfully retained classified information in violation of the law. Moreover, the government seeks to preclude any opportunity for consideration of this issue. 
Footnote seven. Of course, classified or declassified, the documents remain either presidential records or personal records under the PRA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, blue eyes, boomerang. Pursuant to the PRA, a former president has an unfettered right of access to his presidential records, even though he may not, quote, own them. Thus, contrary to the premise behind the cr government's criminal investigation, criminal is in quotes, the determination of whether a former president timely provided documents to the National Archives and Record Administration is a civil matter governed by the PRA. All government records, classified or, un or otherwise, fall into two basic categories, either under the PRA or the Federal Records Act. Quote, the FRA defines a class of materials that are federal records subject to its provisions, and the PRA describes another mutually exclusive set of, of materials that are subject to a different, less rigorous regime. In other words, no individual record can be subject to both statutes because their provisions are inconsistent. Hmm. The PRA further distinguishes records as either presidential or personal. Presidential records are defined as, quote, documentary materials or any reasonably segregable, segregable portion thereof created or perceived by the president and the president's immediate staff or a unit or individual of the executive office of the president whose function is to advise or assist the president in course of conducting activities which relate to or have an effect upon carrying out of the constitutional statutory or other official or ceremonial duties of the president. Hmm. The PRA expressly excludes personal records from the definition of presidential records. Personal records are defined as, quote, documentary materials or any reasonably segregable portion thereof of a purely private or non-public character which do not relate to or have an effect upon the carrying out of constitutional, statutory, or other official or ceremonial duties of the president. The PRA thus distinguishes presidential records from personal records. The PRA contains no provision obligating or even permitting the archivist to assume control over records that the president categorized or filed separately as personal records. The PRA does not confer any mandatory or even discretionary, discretionary authority on the archivist to classify records. Critically, the former president has sole discretion to classify a record as personal or presidential. Okay. Accordingly, all the records at issue in the government's motion fall into two categories, presidential, governed exclusively by PRA, and personal. Four, the government will not suffer irreparable harm. The government ignores the distinction between assessment of national security, which is prospective, and a criminal investigation, which is retrospective. The government conflates two related yet distinct issues, potential damage to national security from allegedly mishandling classified information and two criminal repercussions for allegedly mishandling classified information. The former is looking for is forward looking, asking how the government protects vital national interest on an ongoing basis through an assessment of whether national security information or sources have been compromised. Footnote eight. While discovery of classified material in files containing presidential records should not have been at all surprising, 
Nara allegedly became concerned about national security interests within weeks of the turnover by President Trump of 15 boxes of records. Yet no notification was provided to Congress at that time. Moreover, rather than adhering to PRA, Nara made an immediate criminal referral. Given the circumstances involved the possession by a former president of his own presidential records at a location which had long been utilized to conduct the business of the United States, the pursuit of all other available civil mechanisms would, respectfully, have been a better exercise of potential judgment. Can Nara even make a criminal referral? Can Nara itself make a criminal referral? I don't believe it can. I don't believe it. I don't believe it can. I need to look into that and see if Nara itself can make a criminal referral. Because I think they're. I, th I feel like everybody is assuming they can. I don't. I don't think they can. It's yeah, Joe Lang. It's OIG. That's right. OIG made the referral. Yeah. It's interesting that sh I'm assuming this is Alina. It may not be. Okay. The latter is backwards looking, assessing whether national security information was handled in a manner contrary to law. Certainly may be easier to perform these two, two functions in tandem, but the government has wholly failed to show that these functions must be performed concurrently. The government's brief belies its own claim that a complete intelligence assessment cannot be disentangled from a criminal investigation. For example, the government asserts that a, quote, classification review informs the IC's national security risk assessment. And the FBI uses that review to inform its criminal investigation into the potential mishandling of national defense information as to which classification status is highly, highly uh, relevant. In other words, the FBI needs the results of the intelligence community's classification review to determine whether classified material has been mishandled. Again, the government's own analysis places this as a phased approach that can be effectuated within the temporary confines of the court's order. Yep. Yep. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, just scanning. The operative language in the injunction is purpose. If it's an action's purpose is to conduct a national security assessment, it may be undertaken even if it may reveal information related to a criminal investigation or require the use of a criminal investigative tools. However, the government cannot undertake an action in which the purpose is to further the criminal investigation until after the special master has completed the required review. Although this yields discretion to the intelligence personnel engaged in a security assessment, such individuals must be utilized in such discretion judiciously to maintain the integrity of the government in such unprecedented circumstances. A brief delay will cause irreparable harm to the government's criminal investigation. As the government has not demonstrated that it is likely to succeed on the merits of its appeal, it does not demonstrate that the remaining stay factors tilt decidedly in favor of granting a stay. With respect to the second stay factor, the government has not demonstrated that the brief delay accompanying the special master review will cause irreparable harm to its criminal investigation. Remember that the government wants 
the government proposed that the special master finish by October 17th. Um, and president Trump's team wanted, uh, 90 days, I believe. The government contends that the injunction will cause irreparable harm to the criminal investigation because of an expected modest delay to accommodate the special master's review. Notably, the affidavit in support of the government's motion does not assert that a brief delay in the investigation will cause harm. That's footnote nine. But as the court already opined, the special master's review will improve the perception of fairness and public trust. Moreover, the government refutes its own contention to irreparably harm by listing numerous investigative actions it can conduct without contravening the induction. Yeah, that is funny that in their application for this stay, they go on about how all the things they can do. Okay. Indeed, the government already completed a preliminary review of the seized property that the government has already reviewed the documents and can continue to conduct other investigative actions undercuts any notion of harm, let alone irreparable harm. Without support, the government contends that sharing highly classified materials with a special master would irreparably harm the government and public. For example, the government deserves that, quote, the public has an interest in the fair and expeditious administration of criminal laws. But in this court case, Dionysio versus U.S. or U.S. versus Dionysio and other decisions, the Supreme Court has treated expeditiously as competing the interests of fairness to defendants. Moreover, any clearance and need-to-know concerns may be readily addressed. Footnote, as noted above in footnote one, neither leaks nor the prospect of public jury trial appear to raise any concerns regarding the irreparable harm. Apparently, only the secure review of a court. <laughs> yeah, she's saying, look, you guys can, you guys are leaking and you're not worried about that. But uh, here you're worried about a special master getting to look at this stuff. Barbara Jones has had clearances before. So not really a concern. Okay. Section five, president Trump and the public would be harmed by the stay. Is this court correctly observed a criminal investigation of this import an investigation of a former president of the United States by the administration of his political rivals requires enhanced vigilance to ensure fairness, transparency, and maintenance of public trust. Oh, that is a great sentence. That's great framing right there. Quote, the investigation and treatment of a former president is of unique interest to the general public and the country in bold is served best by an orderly process that promotes the interest and perception of fairness. Given the significance of this investigation, the court recognizes, as does President Trump, that it must be conducted in the public view. The court has correctly directed commencement of a process which certainly benefits the government, President Trump, and the people of the United States. The plaintiff respectfully submits any stay of the injunction or limitation of the scope of review only erodes public trust and the perception of fairness. Conclusion, for the foregoing reasons, plaintiff respectfully requests that the court deny the government's motion for a partial stay pending appeal. Lindsay Halligan. Okay, I bet that's who authored this. Respectfully submitted Lindsay Halligan, Christopher Kais, Evan Corcoran, James M. Trusty. I bet Halligan or Kais wrote this. Like, I, 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 this is really good. 
Kais filed it right there. This is a really good filing by refutation of the government's uh, motion. I enjoyed that's it's nice and fiery and does a good job framing the narrative. Very good. Very good. Let me look over here and see if there's another filing in the Danchenko case or something. No. Okay. Okay. Sweet. All right. I have sweet. I have 20 minutes. Okay. I want to, I want to uh, grab something. Um, I don't think I book. I didn't bookmark it. Wait, I thought I, I thought I had this pulled up somewhere. I thought I had this pulled. Did I have it right? Where where did I? Maybe I didn't pull it up. All right. I don't. I bookmarked it somewhere. Here we go. So a lot of people sent me this article and the gateway pundit quoted me and that's pretty cool. They, they grabbed what I had posted on telegram about the, um, special master, Barbara Jones. And, uh, if I remember right, this link, this, this link open to, yeah, that one, this link, for whatever reason, the first link doesn't work. Um, but the rest of them, I believe, do. They screenshot me here. It's pretty funny. They, they grabbed, uh, they linked to me right here, and it's my post screaming about um, Barbara S. Jones being the government's uh, prospective candidate, their first choice. And then they quoted me in here that uh, I wrote about how Barbara was with the Michael Cohen case, Giuliani and Project Veritas case. And it's her first, it's DOJ's first pick. And I wrote boom, which obviously is like a good thing in uh, the Anon world. And then they include this update that Barbara Jones is also a Democrat donor. I already showed you that stuff. And this one links to a Daily Caller article, um, which is all bashing Barbara S. Jones for her donations. And uh, they link to Margot Cleveland, who's bashing her, talking about she's terrible. Everybody in the comments on this Twitter post by Margot is like, oh, she's connected to SDNY. That's terrible. She must be bad. Uh, that's the depth of their take. So what I want to point out, I want to say a few things about this uh, Gateway Pundit quoting me one. Thank you. Like, seriously, thank you. That's awesome. If I've, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that gateway pundit has ever cited me. I'm pretty sure as far as I know it is. And, um, I think that's awesome. I really appreciate it. Now they got my take on it. What my take is 180 degrees out of phase uh they 
they got the facts I presented correctly, but the way they portrayed it is that this is a bad thing. Um, and of course that's not what I think. And, and some people messaged me like, were telling me you need to go and correct this. You need to contact them and tell them to correct, uh, what they wrote in here. But the, but I want to, I just want to point out that they didn't misstate what I think. They quoted me accurately. They cited my, what I linked and it's all act. They didn't misquote me on anything. So that's really great. They just gave their own interpretation of the facts. So there's nothing for me to write them about and correct. I, I appreciate the attention and I appreciate them linking to me and citing me. I think that's great. Um, <clears throat> and I have to wonder, okay. I can't, I can't help but think that, um, they obviously saw what my take was. I mean, anybody who follows me knows what my take is on this Barbara Jones thing. So they obviously saw what I was getting at about how this being a good thing, yet they took it and spun it this way. And that kind of, that tells me what I, what I take from that. I don't know if karma Patriot is still in chat, but I think she's really going to uh, appreciate what I'm going to say. If, if you're still here, karma, that makes me think that gateway pundit has a decided narrative role and I don't care for their clickbait outrage style of reporting. I don't like it. Um, I don't like dooming. I don't like blackpilling. I don't like emotional, uh, language in this stuff. I, I don't like it. It's not, I don't think it's good, but we still need some of these narratives out there. And Gateway Punnett definitely saw my take. And this, I, this just makes me think that they have to do this narrative thing and they're playing a role as a narrative pushing outlet, uh, by doing this. So it does, it, I don't know, like, One of the things I'm kind of thinking about is would, would gateway pundit have reported me accurately? Like they definitely saw Jim Hoff definitely saw what I was getting at. Is it, a, is this a situation where they, they can't directly report what the, what I'm saying, but they're still going to link to me. And if people go and find my stuff, they will, um, they'll see what I'm getting at. 
So it's like a way of putting, of pushing people who want to dig more and see more to find my work. I don't know. Like it's like, it's kind of reminding me of how people close to Trump don't exactly endorse anons in their work, but they get close to them and they will retruth or retweet or whatever stuff that's pretty close. And that if people are interested, they'll just go one or two steps further and they'll find this whole new world of analysis. You know, it's like, it's inter it's interesting to me. I, I just want, I wanted to bring this up mostly to say like, I'm not, bothered by this at all. I'm amused. And then it also got me thinking that, wow, they must have seen what my take actually was. So they just help people who, who people who clicked on this article and who are willing to investigate a little bit further, they might just click on my post and go and be like, huh, I wonder what this, I wonder if this just human guy shared anything else. And if you go and look at it in context, if you go and look at it in my channel, you see that I'm really excited about this. And I mean, my next post is about, is me and Patel Patriot. My very next post after this is me and Patel Patriot talking about how awesome she is. And then my Substack is linked here and my Substack is linked right above this one. So, Yeah, uh, I'm definitely taking like, I'm really thankful for it. I think it's really cool. Um, made me really happy to be cited. And uh, hopefully people that saw the article are like, huh, I want to see what else this guy says. And then they got a whole new perspective. So I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. It's kind of like, it reminds me of like a bit of kayfabe, but I don't think it's exactly kayfabe, but it's like, it's like narrative warfare, you know, um, which is related to kayfabe. Um, yeah, karma, I, it's, yeah, spoon feeding. Yeah. It's like spoon feeding for all the people trapped in the uh, conservative incorporated matrix. Um, yeah, they gave me support without breaking the parameters of what they're doing. I still like... Yeah. It's interesting to me. Pretty, pretty interesting. So I appreciate everybody that messaged me and was like, dude, you got to see this. They totally got your take wrong. That's right. But they didn't get the facts I presented wrong and they linked to me. So that's pretty cool. Okay. It is almost time to end the show. This has gone by pretty fast. Uh, Paul, thank you for a reminder to release the scratch off things over on, uh, on Foxhole. I'm going to go ahead and look for how to do that. I've done it before, but I have to, uh, I have to change screens real quick. Cause I had, I had the chat pulled up just by itself. Okay. Over on Foxhole, I'm going to release the scratch offs now. And we're going to pull up the exit music. Show's not over quite yet. I'm just, I'm just uh, doing the, the final steps that I need to do. 
So I saw a couple people mention in chat. Um, let me change screens. I saw a couple people mention in chat about Trump being in uh in DC today, and uh, also Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht. Guys, I don't know that anything's going on. I think Trump is at his golf course and is going to play some golf. But I also think that golf courses are an amazing place to talk without other people eavesdropping in. To talk in person with someone away from microphones and other other things. Um. So could be some businesses being conducted. Some interesting things are, are being conducted by Trump while he's there. I don't know. Uh, I don't really want to read too much into it without, without more information. So, but I did see that and that's my take on it. I saw some people asking. And then also some people sent me this article. I usually do not read the last refuge or anything that, um, Sundance writes anymore. It's just so negative, but his take right here was really, really interesting on why. So thank you. Thank you everybody who sent me this, this article. Um, his take on why Trump filed the lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and all her cohorts um, was really interesting. And basically what he said is that the whole reason that lawsuit was written and filed is to legally give Trump's own attorneys the legal the, the, the illegal reason to access all of his files that have to do with crossfire hurricane and Russiagate. So like basically Trump needed to be, needed his attorneys to be able to get fully briefed on all the documents he had related to crossfire hurricane and Russiagate. So what he did was come up with a civil Rico suit that would give them the legal reason to be able to review all the evidence. And then they reviewed it all and they wrote the giant civil Rico suit, knowing that it would be dismissed because what is missing from the giant civil Rico suit evidence. There's no documents filed along with it. There's no, there's no evidence that was filed with it to back it up. So, of course it got dismissed. It was just one long story. It was 108 pages of a story about what was done to Trump and about the, the, about the criminal conspiracy, but there were no, there weren't any attachments that substantiated the, the filing. So it was always going to get dismissed unless it was backed up by some evidence to go with it. And what Sundance's 
we're proposing here is that just the writing of it was the reason for it because in writing it, they had legal reason to be able to review his attorneys, to review all of these documents. I thought that was a pretty interesting take. So I usually, like I said, I usually don't read the last refuge because it's so negative and black pilling and he's got, he's got a ridiculous take on Durham, uh, in my opinion, but this is fascinating. So thank you to everybody who, who sent this to me. All right, folks, it's good to be back on mornings. Thank you all for being here and uh, appreciate the gold pills. Appreciate the subs. If you want to support the show, please share it. Um, if you want to do more than that, buymeacoffee.com slash just human or justhuman.substack.com. Those are the two best ways. All of my stuff on Substack is free. And Substack is also where I put out a podcast version of this show. If you want to listen while you work or you work out or do whatever, that's the place to get it. The Substack app, you can play it within that, or you can set it up to feed to your favorite podcast player. I will be live again on Wednesday morning, 9.30 a.m. And that big news that we got to earlier in the show with, with there being another search warrant and those other warrants that were filed at the same time. I'll be making a post later that details that on all of my socials, and I'll be clipping out the video from this. So look for that if you want to share that with some with some people. And uh, yeah, guys, y'all y'all have a blessed day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. So stay positive. The best is yet to come. Have a great Monday. Yeah. <laughs>